Welcome to the Family Dinner Project podcast, produced by the Family Dinner Project, a nonprofit program based at Massachusetts General Hospital's Psychiatry Academy. Decades of research show us why family dinners are important. They're great for the bodies, the brains, and the mental health of kids and adults. But they're not always easy. We're here to talk about the messy business of how to make family dinners happen. So pull up a chair and grab a plate. We're serving up real talk about family dinner. Welcome to the Family Dinner Project podcast. I'm Brie DeRosa, content manager for the Family Dinner Project. I'm Anne Fischel, the co-founder and executive director of the Family Dinner Project. And I'm also a family therapist, which may come in handy today. Um, I head up the family and couples therapy program also at Mass General Hospital. I feel like you being a family therapist is definitely going to come in handy today, Annie, given the topics that we have on the table for this episode. Uh, I just want to give our listeners a little bit of an overview of why we started this podcast. This is our first episode, and we're so happy to be here. Uh, The Family Dinner Project has been providing online and in-person resources to families since Uh, gosh, 2010. I mean, it's been a really long time and we've had millions of people come to our website. We've helped thousands and thousands of families in person at our community programs. We've developed lots of resources, print, online, all kinds of things. Um, But it's really limiting sometimes to just be writing or creating graphics and not always be able to really have an honest conversation about some of the things that people really want us to talk about. We hear from folks all the time about things that are bothering them or things that they'd like more help with. And so this podcast is our way of trying to dig a little bit deeper into some of the things about the how of family dinner that can just be so, so tricky for people. So given uh, given that framing, today is December... December 4th, and we are recording and getting ready for a holiday season coming up. And Annie, you as a family therapist know better than anyone that the holidays can be tricky. And family dinner at the holidays can be beyond tricky, I guess is what I want to say. So uh, I want to ask you, how do we, when people are trying to gather for big family dinners, holidays, celebrations, um, how do we keep kind of tension low and keep everyone having fun and feeling engaged, even when maybe not everyone gets along all the time? Yeah, it's a challenge. I think expectations run really high at holidays, and we come with so much history usually. Um, And I think the, the familiar trope of feeling that when you go home, you suddenly become a person much younger than your actual age um, as you kind of fold into your family system. Um, So I think, you know, being aware that it's, it's difficult for everybody and um, what can we do to, as you say, make the fun higher and the conflict lower. Um, I think keeping in mind what it is that you enjoy most about the holidays and trying to make sure that you get that, Um, whether it's a favorite food that you make sure is on the holiday table, 
or a game or somebody that you're really looking forward to seeing because you only see them once a year and making a beeline for that person so you're sure to make a connection. Um, And I think if you're hosting the holidays, there are things that you can do um, to enhance everybody's enjoyment. Um, One thing is maybe to have some uh, conversations up your sleeve that will be inclusive of everybody in the family. Um, uh, or having a game, uh, I, in 2016, after the, uh, dicey election, when I, at my holiday table, I didn't know if everybody was going to, uh, feel upset or joyful about the election results. And I thought there could be a lot of conflict at my table. And I designed what I call the hat game. And I put at the door a hat and a bunch of post-its. And as people came in, I posed a question, which was, um, what was what was or is your favorite toy? And write it down. And um, on another piece of paper, write down a book that tra- changed your life in some way. And then I brought the hat to the table and I pulled out the answers, which were anonymous. Um, and I asked people to guess who said Slinky? Who said uh, Jacks and a Ball? Who said uh, Ping Pong? Um, and then whoever had made that uh, offering could elaborate on it and the conversation would extend or we would go on to the next person. Um, and that provided a table-wide conversation devoid of any political content. Um, and it was surprising. People learned new things about each other. I love that so much. And I think what I love about it is, you know, you said right at the the top there that, you know, getting together with our families brings us back to a different moment in our lives, right? It kind of rewinds the clock a little bit. And I think we, a lot of us can feel the truth of that. And when you're bringing it, bringing the conversation to a place about childhood toys or books or, you know, things that, that also kind of build on that memory and, and, you know, different moments in your life and take it out of kind of the tension and the fraughtness of like whatever's happening right now in the world. Yes. Um, Yeah. There's something really um, nostalgic and wonderful about that. That's also not too um, avoidant, I guess. (laughs) Right. It's not just how, how, how is the weather where you came from? You know, it's a, it's a little step up from that. I think sort of piggybacking on the idea of using the nostalgia and the collective memory that also is around, often is around the family dinner table. It can be really fun and interesting to ask somebody to tell a familiar story. Um, you know, uh, Uncle Jack, we haven't heard that story about how you got fired from your first job that um, we all you know, always enjoy so much. Would you mind telling that again? Um, Or, you know, I have a a dear friend who always comes to my holiday meals and I like to ask her in front of my kids uh, to tell some stories about growing up in the South um, during the civil rights movement. And she's got some fabulous historical stories about that. And so kind of, you know, using the family gathering to tell and remember stories, I think is really important. Or, you know, just can be fun. 
Yeah, no, I I love that. I I love that idea. And I think, you know, it just makes me think literally last night we were, uh, we had some time as a family. We watched a holiday movie together. We, uh, my teenage boys wanted to rewatch Home Alone. Uh, So we were watching Home Alone and there's the kind of secondary storyline in there of the older neighbor who is estranged from his son, even though they live in the same town. And something about that storyline really kind of caught my kids' attention this year. I think it was just maybe a detail they'd not thought about very much before. And it gave me a great opportunity to to say, you know, did you ever hear the story about when your grandfather and your great-grandfather who lived in the same town didn't speak to each other for six months? And they said, what? Grandpa? And I said, yeah, no. Oh my gosh. I can't believe you didn't know that story. And so we talked about that and it, it allowed me to bring to life for them some people who were really influential in my life as a child that they never had the opportunity to really build relationships with and get to know. And it was just that nice moment of like, hey, this holiday movie out of nowhere provided us this family storytelling opportunity. And, and I think it was really, uh, it was really just kind of like a rich and and wonderful moment for them. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And so speaking of um, movies and TV and content, that kind of brings us through um, to things that we want to talk about. Uh, this goes to the question of uh, tension at the table and um, bringing forth uh, ideas about our holidays and, and family relationships from popular media. We don't do a lot of pop, pop culture at the Family Dinner Project, but when we do, it's for a reason. And you recently wrote a tremendous blog post for us about your reaction to the hit show, The Bear. And their um, Christmas dinner episode, Fishes. And if, if I'll just say for our listeners, like if you haven't watched The Bear and you haven't seen the episode, I think this conversation will still maybe make sense to you. So stick with us. But if you have seen it, you're going to definitely have your own opinions about this. Um, Annie, <laughs> let's talk about The Bear. This is a place where people went into this family dinner, this holiday dinner with maybe the best of intentions, right? Um, but this, this, there's so much there about, you know, a child who didn't want to go home for the holidays and didn't maybe, want to. Maybe shouldn't have gone home. <laughs> maybe shouldn't have gone home, right? And, and definitely was put in that place. You know, when I watch that episode, I see Carmi getting put back into that place of the, the, the little, little sibling, right? The yeah. little kid, Everybody's treating him not as this like amazing Michelin starred chef, but as this, you know, very small person in the family unit. Um, And there's so much drama and conflict and everything going on and certainly different ideologies, certainly different ideas about life and family and all holidays and all kinds of different things going on. Talk to us a little bit about all of this. What what is it? What can people take away from an an episode like this? What does it tell us about when you maybe shouldn't go home, when you maybe can't have that family holiday dinner, when when the hat game isn't enough, I guess, <laughs> you know? When is the hat game not enough? When is the hat game not enough? Yes. 
So, oh, there's so much to talk about with the bear. I mean, it's also a family that's struggling with a lot of mental health challenges. The matriarch, Donna, um, clearly uh, has a severe problem with alcohol. Um, She drinks volubly throughout the episode and is sobbing and, spoiler alert, drives her car through the dining room (laughs) by the end of the episode. so there's a lot of psychopathology uh, that the family is dealing with, but it, there's also lots of tenderness and attempts for connection and and sweet moments peppered throughout the dinner. Um, so I guess my takeaways were were a couple, some that I've alluded to. Uh, things really start to devolve around one of the uh, Mikey, one of the sons retelling a story for the umpteenth time and another family member getting furious. Um, And I thought, no, let Mikey tell that story. That's one of the main reasons we gather for holidays to tell stories so that our children, our grandchildren hear them. So they're etched in our collective memory so that we can remember the people who told the stories, even after they're gone um, so let Mikey tell that story. So that that was one kind of takeaway. Um, another was the way that family members have a just laser-like ability to uh, press our buttons. I mean, who knows us better than our parents, our children, our, our nieces, our nephews. Um, and so coming to family uh, holiday meals just girding ourselves not to let those buttons be put, punched or pushed. Um, and instead to maybe have, if we know that that's a family style, to have some comeback. Um, I really would rather not talk about my weight gain this year. I really was hoping to talk to you about a trip I took. Or um, that's something that I only discuss with my therapist. Uh, and I don't see a degree next to your name. Um, <laughs> or if you're not feeling that snarky, um, why do you ask that? What? Why is that uh, so interesting to you? Um, so, sort of being ready for that, to, maybe to have some uh, some comebacks. Um, and then, uh, I guess the other takeaway. Uh, is the pressure not to make a family meal perfect. And the corollary to that is um, not putting so much pressure on yourself if you're the host that you have to control every morsel that people are going to eat and instead to reach out and ask for help. Um, Even if you don't love the mashed potatoes that your Uncle Sam makes, invite him to make it knowing that's going to be an hour or two off, you know, that you're going to get back for your life and you're not going to be quite as bedraggled and uh, stressed when you come to the table. Um, so that, that was another takeaway because the matriarch tries to make seven dishes of fishes uh, come out all at the same time. I mean, it is such a recipe for disaster. <laughs> who, could, who could possibly make that meal happen all by herself? Um, and yet, by the way, any Italian American listener right now is going, yeah, no, that's what you do, though, right? <laughs> like, that's the Feast of the Seven Fishes. And it is, there is something kind of 
um, fantastical and improbable about, you know, I think for no matter what your tradition is, the way that we approach holiday meals, right? And in that in that episode, even, I can never remember his name, but their cousin's partner, who is just so sweet when he's trying to hold everything together by offering his version of some sort of I think it's supposed to be grace, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's pretty loosely identifiable as grace. He's trying to calm everybody down. He's trying to keep Mikey from throwing a fork, right? And he kind of alludes to um, the specialness and the the kind of fantastical nature of this holiday meal and what they're trying to achieve with the food, with the gathering, with the coming together, and what it all really means at this kind of like deeper molecular level. Yes. We're um, going to have to chew more and we're going to have to listen more. <laughs> to chew more and we're going to have to listen more. Right. It's amazing. And it's, you know, and it makes, it does make you think, right. Pete shows up with his tuna casserole and the first thing they all do is go, no, no, right. This is like the eighth fish. We cannot have eight fishes. There are seven fishes and, and everything is perfectly planned, right? And the tuna casserole is going to set the universe off its axis, right? This poor, sweet, dope Pete who's just trying to help, right? right? But he wasn't asked. And it's, you know, the, it's such a high pressure situation. Yes. And, I, and when people are asked, it's not only takes the burden off the host, but it also makes people feel like they're creating it too. Like this holiday belongs to everybody, Right, um, and that's I think such an important part of making a holiday fun and reducing conflict all at the same time. Uh, it's probably a lesson for regular meals too, not just holiday meals. That the more we can get our family members to participate, helping to cook, helping to set the table, picking a game, whatever it might be, it makes them all feel like this is ours too. Yeah, I love that. That idea of just we're co-creating an experience together as a family, right? It's not one person. I think one of the things in in the bear in that episode fishes, but also in a lot of the more tense and challenging real life family gatherings that we all have is that aspect of control, right? And part of where I think even everyday family dinners go awry, and we hear this a lot in different ways from people, from families over the years, there's always, almost always, this element of needing to control the environment, right? One person is sort of scripting how they think family meals ought to go. Um, and maybe, maybe even there's another person at the table who has a totally different script for how the family meal ought to go. And that's where it starts to fall apart because we're not co-creating we're uh, we're trying to follow different scripts and different ideas and different uh, rules and different guidelines and structures. And if we're not all on the same page and we're not all working together to make the experience, it can really um, cause challenges, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> what what happens? I mean, you know, we've talked about kind of the solvability of some of this, right? Hmm. Um, but what happens if you just really, to your point about Carmi, shouldn't go home, right. right? Or you can't, you don't feel safe going home. I don't like right. to should people, right? But like, right. you don't feel safe going home. There are a lot of families out there who unfortunately are in the middle of rupture and they're not 
able to repair. Right. right? So they don't feel safe uh, because of how their family is going to treat their children because their children are gay or trans mm -hmm. and they don't want to subject their kids to um, rough questions or rolling rolled eyes or, you know, disparaging comments. Um, and for those families, it may be the the best idea not to go home for holidays, um, maybe to uh, use it as, a, as an opportunity to talk to a family about why they don't feel safe, or maybe not. Maybe even that feels like too much. Um, some families might want to just have a quick phone call to say happy holidays or a Zoom and, and leave it at that. Um, but for families who aren't going home, um, it's also, you know, a, a chance to come up with their own ways to uh, create joy or uh, have a celebration with each other or just decide, you know, what would we like to do? We have a free day. We don't have to go to work or school. What will what would we like to do? Maybe it's taking a hike or watching a family, watching a holiday movie or making a luscious dessert together. Um, you know, it could be just reinventing the holiday on their own terms. Yeah, you know, I think that's so important. I think um, I, I've personally been aware this year of more people in my orbit than probably ever before who are facing a really difficult holiday season, the inability to be with family for one reason or, or another, a lot of them traumatic reasons. Um, and, you know, we've all been brainstorming a little bit about how to help, you know, what can you do? What could be your new tradition this year? What could you try out uh, with your kids or, or, you know, on your own with your friends, your family of choice, right? Maybe you're going to have a friend-based holiday, a community holiday. Um, and some of the, the, some of the ideas have been really fun. You know, there, uh, one of the things is there's this Icelandic tradition that makes the rounds every year on the internet of, um, giving books and chocolates to one another and then spending the day reading together and being cozy and eating chocolate. And that might be the vibe for some people, right? Or, um, another thing was you can get, um, I know I we saw that and I said to my husband, is it too late to call <laughs> off a regular holiday celebration? I want to sign up for that one. I know, right? Books and chocolate sounds like my vibe. Yeah. Um, another one that I was loving was, uh, I think a lot of us love to hate on the Hallmark holiday movie, you know, the, the one plot 82 movies kind of a thing. Uh, don't, don't please don't write to us, everybody. We, we love Hallmark holiday movies. Uh, but the you can get bingo cards online. Like this is such a thing now. You can actually print out bingo cards from any number of sites that in turn the Hallmark holiday movie watching into kind of a game of, you know, oh, well, there's the, the overworked woman who's leaving her city job and going home. And here's the lumberjack guy who has a Christmas tree farm. And, you know, you can kind of mark your bingo cards. Um, and so, you know, fun things like that, silly things like that can, I think, really lighten the mood. But um, it's also just really hard. I just want to like sit for a minute with the, the acknowledgement that it's really hard. If you're somebody who's facing grief or loss or estrangement or any kind of, mm. you know, holiday trauma this year, yeah, you can you can buy some books and some chocolate or you can watch Hallmark movies or you can do whatever you're going to do. But there's there's real feeling there. And so do you have any kind of uh, 
I don't know, words of wisdom or solace to offer people, uh, ways to deal with those feelings? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you've, you've put it really well, Brie. I think acknowledging it and um, maybe reaching out to somebody else who's also having a hard time, who um, isn't seeing this as a time of great joy and frivolity and, and so on. Um, and, you know, doing the things that make you feel taken care of, you know, whether it's sitting and reading a book or um, taking a walk by yourself or, you know, making sure to connect with somebody um, who cares about you and who you feel at home with. You know, home is really not uh, synonymous with family. Um, home is is a feeling. It's a feeling of uh, being comfortable um, in your own skin uh, when you're with somebody else. And so reaching out to whoever that might be for you. It could be a therapist. It could be a friend. It could be a, a, a child. It could be, um, you know, whoever it is. I love that that idea that home is being comfortable in your own skin, right? And I think we always try to tell people family also doesn't have to be defined by blood. Family yeah. can be the people who give you that feeling of home, right? That feeling yeah. of comfort in your own skin and that feeling of value and safety. Um, so thanks for thanks for that, um, helping us kind of frame those <clears throat> tricky holiday season emotions. There's a lot this time of year that comes up, you know? Yes. I think many of us are relieved when we can turn the page on the calendar. Yeah. New Year's Day is sort of that opportunity for the fresh start, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of um, turning the page, we are coming to the end of our very first episode of the Family Dinner Project podcast. And I've had so much fun talking to you, Annie, and getting your incredibly wise and helpful insights about this very difficult and tricky and also joyful and wonderful time of year. It's a yes. big mixed bag for families. It, it is. Yeah. So we wanted to uh, begin our own tradition here on the podcast of ending our episodes with uh, some suggestions for our three pillars of family meals. We always say that we are about food, fun, and conversation about things that matter. And so at the end of each episode, Annie and I would like to offer our listeners uh, one idea for food, one for fun, and one for a conversation starter that we think would be great for you to take forward into your family dinner practice uh, for the rest of the season until we meet again on our next episode in 2024. So, um, Annie, I'm going to kick it off with you asking you about the food aspect. I know you have a special family holiday recipe that you want to call everybody's attention to. Thank you, Bree. Um, so December 7th is the first night of Hanukkah, and I am part of an interfaith family. And my husband, who was raised in a Christian family, took ownership of the latke recipe, which is the traditional potato pancake recipe. Um, and it's on our website. Um, it is really quite delicious. It can be scaled up and 
For many decades, we hosted a three-generational, chaotic, wonderful, huge Hanukkah party. And I am sure that most of the guests came primarily to get a nibble of those potato latkes, which are really wonderful. Oh, well, it is a great recipe and it is available on the website at thefamilydinnerproject.org slash food. And you can search latke, that's L-A-T-K-E, if you don't know how to spell it. And those uh, those will come straight up for you. And so- Bray, tell us something fun that yes, you want to yes. share about the holiday season. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited about this one. So um, I got thinking about holiday dinners and about sometimes... Uh, we are in a group with people we don't know very well um, because we don't see them that often or because we're blending families or traditions or households. And we're going to be doing that this year. I, my sister is coming from out of town and she's going to be spending part of the holidays with my brother-in-law's family with us. And she hasn't met all of them. So I thought it might be nice to have a way to get to know each other a little bit better and to kind of find out a little bit more about the traditions and the people you're surrounded by. So We came up with a holiday dinner scavenger hunt. This is available on our site at thefamilydinnerproject.org slash holidays. It's a printable or a downloadable. You can just look at it on your phone or you can print it out and give it to everybody and they can mark their sheets and see what they can learn about the people and the foods that are being presented at this holiday dinner. So really, really fun. And I hope everybody checks it out. And then our last thing is... Annie, a conversation starter that really strikes you as being the right one for this moment and this um, podcast episode and conversation that we've had. What would you ask people to go forward and talk about? Um, I thought it might be interesting, um, and I would like to do this at my uh, holiday dinner, to ask who else would you wish could join us tonight? Um, It could be a famous person, a celebrity. It could be a family member who's no longer walking this earth. It could be a friend or a family who just wasn't available to join us. And um, if you wouldn't mind also saying why, uh, what, what you, why you would like that person to be with us tonight. Yeah, I think that's a really valuable one and really speaks to the heart of this conversation. Um, You know, that it's really about kind of making peace with the holidays that we have and also thinking aspirationally a little bit and reflectively a little bit about the holidays that we have had or that we wish we could create. Um, And just kind of sitting with all of those revelations and feelings. which feels like a a heavy way to end this podcast, but also maybe the right note for the holidays in 2023. And we wish everyone uh, a wonderful season, no matter what your celebrations look like, and a great start to 2024. And we will be back with more Family Dinner Real Talk in 2024. So be sure to follow us at thefamilydinnerproject.org and on threads and Instagram and Facebook. And we will see you all next year.